which by the way was completely unnecessary that he speak his names in such a fashion except to to beg for the applause of the old faithful star trek fans who would be like yeah you know just the way in which he said it would be like why is the guy taking his name so seriously (laughs) this is episode 45 of the movie bite podcast a weekly show where we discuss praise lament or lampoon movies tv shows and more Today is Wednesday, May 22nd, 2013. I'm your host, TJ, and I'm joined today on the final frontier by my co-host, Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe? Greetings. Good evening. Yeah, I, I hope and you're living long have, and prospering. Oh, uh, thanks a lot. Um, I don't know how to take that exactly, seeing as <laughs> how most people that, you know, get that, those well wishes, shortly die afterwards. Oh, yeah, I mean, just look at the trend in all the movies. Well, it's like, it wasn't prosper, and it's almost a guarantee that you'll die. You were about to mix it up and introduce our guest. Go ahead, Joe. Well, okay, we also have with us tonight Anthony Pascal once again. Thank you, Anthony, for coming back. Thank you. Can we can we cut down on the Trek cliches though? Yeah, uh, we'll we'll try. I I, I don't. <laughs> I, I say I was about to say I don't get to do it very often, but that's not true. I've I've had you on the show a couple times, and uh, you know I'm a huge Trek fan, so I'll, we'll we'll cut back on the Trek cliches a little bit. But I just I had to go there. So, uh, oh, and somebody in this in the chat room has already said don't cut down on them. So uh, now, now we have to decide who to please. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for being here. We know that our time with you is a little bit limited, um, so uh, we have. I think, no, no, about- I actually, I'm, I I could do probably an hour because I did the Google Hangout with Hollywood.com, which I just got off of. So, okay, oh, very sweet, cool, awesome. All right, well, I just got around uh, to posting, and, we're, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to dive for our listeners. We normally don't do this. We're going to dive right into our main review first, and then we'll have a few items we'll talk about afterwards. Normally, we do those, and then we get to our main review, but. We're going to talk about Star Trek Into Darkness first. I finally cranked out my review on moviebyte.com, uh, and I will put that in the show notes, and we'll paste it in the chat room for those who are interested in that. Um, so let, let's let's go ahead and dive in to Star Trek Into Darkness. It's a, it's a little movie that, you know, probably probably one of those little movies nobody's going to hear about through the summer here, and, and probably nobody went to see. What, what do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, I, I had to go up on Google in order to find any information about it. I just don't think that anybody's going to know about it. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait, are you talking about Star Wars? <laughs> oh, burn. <laughs> we, 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 uh, we try to be fans of both here, just so you know. <laughs> no, no, I, I, well, I was just talking to the guy run, you know, the guy from the force.net and Bonnie Burton, who used to work with Lucasfilm and, you know, we're all Star Trek fans. We're all Star Wars fans. We're all Battlestar fans. There's a huge right. amount of overlap. And right. I, I do not buy, you know, there's no war between Trek and War. If there weren't a Force.net, I would have made a site called, the, you know, about Star Wars. It's just that, you know, there's such a good site out there. I don't need to do it. Um, mm. So I love Star Wars as much as I love Star Trek. Cool. I feel, I feel it's probably inevitable now that we have JJ running both of these franchises that eventually they're all going to merge them and there'll oh, be like some ooh, new ooh, expanded inevitable. universe. With, Let, hang on, hang on. Yes. Let's, let's talk about that Trek for a Wars. minute. Before we, before we dive in here, uh, since Anthony does have, uh, he said about 15 more minutes, <laughs> let's talk about that for just a second. JJ running Star Wars was inevitable. I thought that the reason he never would was because he already got Trek, and even though he would have wanted Star Wars, th- these two just never meet. Right? No, I'm saying it's inevitable <laughs> that they will merge these two franchises. I mean, uh, uh, how, how can you outdo Star Wars or Trek? Oh, you just put them together. Can, can, Anthony, can you believe okay. this guy is my co-host? You know, it, it, it's I could see how from a million miles away you could confuse the two, but uh, as <laughs> soon as you could get any closer than that, 
uh, you know, they, they are fundamentally different as JJ, I, you know, uh, talked to him about it at the junket and he, he's like, these are completely different things. You know, they're the, the star Trek is, you know, the easiest way to just look at it is star Wars is about a, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Star Trek is set in the 23rd or 24th century of earth with human beings. That's, every, that's very true. You know, every character, Han Solo, Leia, every single one of them is a freaky alien from another galaxy. That's Whereas right. Every, every character on Star Trek is a descendant of ours. It is our future. And it is, you know, Star Wars is basically, and I love it, it's, 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 it's a fantasy, you That's know, right. with, ma- yeah. with magic and swords and all that set in a, you know, long time ago. It's Star Trek is a little more, it's not true hard science fiction like you get with an Asimov or something. Right, right. But no, nobody makes those movies. Um, but it is much more science, you know, it's much more science fiction than Star Wars, which is more, you know, space fantasy, I would say. Both great things, but fundamentally different at their core. So do you think the universe is going to implode now that JJ has both of these franchises in his grip? Uh, you know, it's uh, no, you know, I think uh, <laughs> it, I think no more so than the fact that he also did Mission Impossible. You know, it's just another job. It's another thing he's going to do well. Um, you know, there are things like in Mission Impossible that are similar to what he did in Star Trek in terms of his craft. But that's and, about and his cast. Yeah. But uh, Simon Pegg. I, I love Simon Pegg. I wonder who he'll be in Star Wars. <laughs> I think the more the bigger question is where he's going to put Greg Grunberg, who didn't end up in Into Darkness, but he always likes to put Greg Grunberg somewhere. So um, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm still trying to get caught up with JJ's work. I know I've had since 2009 when I re- became aware that JJ existed, and of course I was a big fan of Fringe. Um, oh, speaking of which, uh, I found I forgotten about this image, and I'm glad I found it before the show. I'll put this in the. Uh, Show notes, too. It's called uh, Bye Bye Alcatraz, How J.J. Really Feels About Alcatraz Having Been Canceled, uh, which I was a big fan of and was sad that it was canceled. But this little oh, yeah. uh, this I GIF, that that or, was or GIF or however the the Internet Wars say you should pronounce it. Yeah, uh, I made a – yeah, I saw that. I think I made that animated GIF or someone I else. I think you did. I, I think I found it on your site when I was searching the other day in preparation for the show, and I thought, oh, that is just too awesome. Uh, so it, it's a ship it, – it's a picture of – a starship crashing into Alcatraz. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, no, no. I, yeah, I made that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So that's in the show notes. Um, and uh, just nerd out over that. It's it's awesome. Yeah. The internet thanks you for that, Anthony. Yes. I made another gift. My, the better one I made is the is the Kirk block. I don't know where that is. When, when Admiral Pike, when Kirk is in the bar and he's talking to that hot chick or trying to talk to her. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Then, bam, yeah. like Admiral Pike. <laughs> And it's like, and, and uh, I, I came up, I, I called it Admiral Buzzkill. I did because, <laughs> because Admiral Block was a little too, you know, risque for the website. But, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, maybe a little risque for this podcast, too. So. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. Just, Where's the buzzer? <laughs> uh, no, it, it's fine. But um, anyway, uh, so, yeah, that, that was pretty fun. And then uh, right before we get into the review here, the one other thing I'll mention. Um, and did you did you see... Um, this IO9 review of uh, Star Trek Into Darkness that this this guy Rob Bricken he really hated it apparently or else he was just really trolling. Are you talking about the 
thing the, written like a fact, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it was, an, it was an FAQ, and I had so much fun reading this, even though even though I had some of the same complaints about the film, I completely did not agree with the perspective. Hmm. Well, you know, there are people who you could make fun of any movie, and I think Into yeah. Darkness is open for mockery, just like anything is open for mockery, and. You know, it's 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 often like I have friends who really didn't like the last Star Trek movie and I agree with everything they say. And then I say, but so what? You know, I still liked it. Right. And, right. you know, it, it, yes. Well, Every- JJ's films in general seem like they're a bit more open and honest and they're a little bit more uh, risky risk takers as uh, films in general. They're more willing to expose themselves to more of the 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 insults and the mockery. Like, uh, what I mean by that is, I think that his writing and his direction takes stories in places that a lot more people might deem cliche or overdone or uh, too sensational or asking for too much of the audience. So, I mean, even Lost, like, it seems like everybody loved Lost for a little while, and then eventually people just found ways to make fun of it. Well, but yet they still you know, the hardcore, you know, stayed with it all the way to the end. Right. Exactly. Mm. You know, alias. Yeah. All of those things. Oh, uh, I wanted to mention one other thing too, before we dive into our dislikes and likes TJ, if it's okay by you, you go ahead. Well, we didn't really have a prepared synopsis of the film and I don't think it's really necessary this time around. We'll, we'll be unleashing spoilers for you left and right. And frankly, you're not going to need to go see the movie when we're all said and done. Oh, come now. (laughs) <laughs> but I I really enjoyed reading the short synopsis on IMDb. It says, after the crew of the Enterprise find an unstoppable force of terror from within their own organization, Captain Kirk leads a manhunt into a war zone world to capture a one-man weapon of mass destruction. Does that sound like the movie you watched, Anthony? <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a buzzword cliche fest. If I ever heard what that is the official, it's horrible. The official Paramount synopsis, which was released last year, it's actually the second one. They had a much more wordy one that was released first, I think, on accident. That was like had you know was very strangely worded, and then they released that (laughs) one. I mean, the problem is, is that. They're trying to say things without saying things, sure. yes. um, you know, and uh, <laughs> it is. It's a, a one man weapon of ass. There is a manhunt. Yeah, a, I guess you, you know. could say everything that was mentioned in that thing was true. Kind of <laughs> having seen the film, though, it's very like, no, that's that's not the film I watched. <laughs> All right. So, Anthony, you uh, you got to watch this film. Who knows when you're the official Trek movie dot com Paramount sanctioned guy, right? Like they'll let you like they probably well, had no, no, no. Well, no, JJ I mean, was probably consulting with you in the editing room and stuff. I mean, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm but kidding. I'm uh, totally unofficial, but I saw the movie. The. I saw the movie at the first public screening in the United States, the same a few hours before the Australian, the Australian premiere, which I guess was about a month ago, I guess. Okay. Um, I forget the exact date, but it was it was not, um, you know, just, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't me and J.J. Off was there. Bob Orsi was there. Um, Brian Burke was there. They're all producers. Um, and, 
you know, but it, me, me and 500 other people were there. Nice. You know, so, so, so was, uh, was the film that you saw, it, it, there was no changes to it since then. I assume it was close enough to the release date. There was no tweaks. Made it to was, it. yeah. I mean, it was, li- I think because we were the first to see it, I mean, they were literally working on it up to the last minute and it was the same except for the credits weren't finished. Like I noticed at the end, uh, like the credits start rolling and I'm like, God, those look like they were made out of MacBook Pro. And um, <laughs> I know a guy at Bad Robot. He's like, yeah, I did make those on a MacBook Pro. Nice. Um, so they, they didn't, I don't know if the Australians had real credits, but all the kind of cool uh, 3D flying through planets credit, we didn't get those for that screening. Those are uh, pretty but, cool too. But all the music and the effects, so I didn't see one of those where, you know, it's like insert effect shot here. It wasn't like that. You know, it was a real screening. Um, We just didn't get the real credits. Um, And then I saw it in London at the Junket, and then I saw it again in IMAX. Uh, So I've seen 2D, 3D, and IMAX 3D. Uh, So you've only seen it one more time than I have. Yeah. I haven't actually, I haven't seen it since it came out in the U.S. I'm going to see it tomorrow. A friend of mine and I are going to go see it tomorrow. It'll be the first time I actually pay to go see it. Uh, oh. So it'll be a different experience. Maybe I won't like it when I actually have to pay for it. That's <laughs> nice. right. <laughs> okay. Get some extra butter on your popcorn to, that night. You know, get some more Coke, get a bigger <laughs> combo. All right. So I think we're pretty confident, though, than Anthony, that you liked it. And we're going to obviously swing back around to this. This is going to be a little, diff- little bit different than what we've had you on before. We've had you on before discussing the trailers and stuff. This is going to be a little bit more of a panel discussion where we talk about the things we liked and didn't like about the film, but Joe, you told me that this is your favorite Star Trek film, uh, and and that's interesting to me. I, I like the film, but I wouldn't call it my favorite. Now, why would you call this your favorite? Well, I've been thinking about that because it could be for a couple of different reasons, TJ. Uh, one of them, it could be because I saw all the other Star Trek films that I have watched before watching the second generation TV show, and perhaps because I sat down earlier this year and took the time to go through most of the seasons of star Trek, the second generation, maybe I just have a greater appreciation for it. Now. I don't know. Maybe I got used to it, but I appreciate the direction that this movie has for Abrams version of the franchise that as a whole, I have very positive feelings for where it came from with a film that was released in 2009. I know it's not the best uh, a Trek film in general, and but yet I still enjoyed it. I found it very entertaining. At least ways to me, it was as entertaining as the Wrath of Khan. Now, and, okay, now Anthony, can we let him get? Are we going to let that slide? Him calling it the second generation, the second generation mm-hmm. film. I, I did I say that? You said the second. You said Star Trek: The Second Generation. That is, not- I, I'm not gonna. I, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna. You know, it's no, 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 no. Did I call it that? That's totally not what I meant to say. I was talking about the television show. Yes, and, and, then, and it uh, is called um, the, the television show is called <laughs> Star Trek: Golden. The Next Generation. Sorry, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. I, I oh, feel better brother. now. I feel better now. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I just had to give you a little bit of a hard time there. All okay. right, so so all in all, you would say this is your favorite Star Trek film. Yes, it's a it's a great it's a it's a great sequel. It, it definitely improved upon the first one, and I, I'm more interested in seeing where the franchise goes from here. So why why was I bringing this up? You asked me I a asked question. You, I asked I answer? you about it, and and the reason I asked too, uh, and I don't know how Anthony feels about this perspective. My perspective is, as a lifelong Star Trek fan, it's hard for me to gauge how somebody who really doesn't have the same feelings about Trek would feel about the film. And and I feel like, in some respects, as I was watching the film, I thought, wow, they for for a reboot film that's trying to appeal to a broader audience, they really 
they really laid down the Star Trek in this film. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I you mean all the references and all that kind of stuff. Well, not just not just references, but it really felt like a Star Trek film. Whereas 2009 Star Trek to me really didn't in a lot of ways. Well, it's you know, it's it's a fine balancing act where uh, they try to create a summer popcorn action movie that anybody could just walk in off the street without knowing who Kirkus Spock was and enjoy. And a movie that will uh, fascinate and uh, Star Trek fans with all sorts of Trek lore and history at the same time. And it's a delicate balance. And um, I think in this one, they really poured on the Star Trek. If you Obviously, we could talk spoilers in this, I assume, podcast. Uh, yeah, I was I was going to ask you guys if you thought that we could avoid the spoilers and then talk about spoilers, but I don't. I, I think let's just talk about it. So here, here we're in the spoilers. Guys. Well, frankly, uh, what you're about to get into, Anthony, are a lot of the things that are revealed in other Trek films, right? In the TV shows, I'm uh, the, the illusions and the stuff that the that they recycled and made new and fresh in this film. Right. I mean, but things. I mean, some of the things. You know, there's there's layers of Trek fandom, you know, and and the deeper of a Trek fan, the more things you'll notice. Uh, you know, some some fans I know, you know, they didn't they didn't recognize they don't know about Section 31 because they never watched Deep Space Nine. You know, right. And, and, and you did, that was one that was an, enough of a, a shallow layer that you don't have to know what Section 31 is in order you, to get no, it. You, you get it. It's a shadowy government, black ops, right. you know, black water, evil thing. You know, you don't need to. It doesn't take you out. If you didn't know what it was, it doesn't take you out because they don't present it as, you know, they don't mention it without describing what it is, which is an ultra secret organization. But a Trek fan goes, oh, OK, I know what they're I know what they're doing here. Yeah, you know, I, and, exactly. I, I, I kind of had a little joy inside when I heard about Section 31. You know? <laughs> right. And, and that's what they're going for is they want. You know, as I explained in my review, there's two movies happening here and you'll be sitting next to a guy. The guy who just walked in off the street and he's watching one movie and you're watching a whole different movie. Um, you're, you know, you, you know, when they mention Section 31 and they mention Harry Mudd or they they call Scotty a miracle worker. Right. It's, it's, you know, those are all things that are, you know, don't take you out of the movie as a non-Trek fan. But as a Trek fan, they are giving you things that give you an enhanced experience. Um, they're rewarding you and they're rewarding your fandom. And I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I felt like they were too far the other direction with 2009. And I think maybe that's because J.J. has come to appreciate Star Trek more. He's even said as much that he's come to appreciate Star Trek more the more he's gotten into it and is having directed a film. I really felt like, you know, and, and I'm not always saying this is a bad thing because look at what Nicholas Meyer did and he knew nothing of Star Trek when he, he did Star Trek 2. But I felt like J.J. came to the film with, with ha- A, not being a fan, not knowing much about Trek, and then at the same time having too much power to direct Trek, where Nick Meyer somehow felt a little more constrained and reined in, even though he did good for the franchise by bringing his fresh perspective. Whereas this film feels more like that same balance that, that was struck, I think, with Nick Meyer. Nick Meyer had... He made some significant changes. He made Star. He made Starfleet more militaristic. Yes, and, you know it's true. He did not have the same juice at Paramount. He was a he was hired to direct, um, whereas J.J. Abrams was hired to produce and direct, and from his production company. So that right. no one, including Rick Berman, has had this level of power. Paramount 
in the past was were always much more hands on. Whereas with with JJ, they just basically said, make a Star Trek movie any way you want to, because we trust you to make a Star Trek movie. And they you know, essentially subcontracted it out to Bad Robot. Um, although, although obviously Paramount is funding it and uh, is owns it, uh, he has a lot more control. Um, yep. And yeah, that's why you know I remember I asked him on the last one, you know, would you ever do an extended director's cut? And he's like, this is the director's exactly. cut. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I they you know, Paramount doesn't come in and say pull this, take that, and they have done that for the other movies. Right. Well, um, and if, if you know anything about the history of Star Trek too, you know that Nick Meyer fought hard for certain scenes that Paramount wanted to pull or change. And he, he said he threatened to quit and take out an ad in the newspaper and, and all <laughs> kinds of stuff. And, and he had to fight and, and pull teeth to get his way. So yeah. And, and that's not the case at all here. Right. And so you can't, cause for a lot of, like you could look at a movie like Star Trek five, which is considered the worst of the franchise and second, worst. you know, or second words, but and 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 one way you can look at it is it's a terrible movie. The other way, and and they should have never let William Shatner direct. The other way you can look at it is they should have given William Shatner more money and more creative control. That, that they were so all over him. And when you read the behind the scenes and you listen to him, they never really fully trusted him. He never really had the creative control. He never really had the budget. He had this the world's worst visual effects company they didn't have ilm i mean it was a it was a mess and you never saw william shatner's true vision yeah we know with with jj abrams like it or not you you know that he delivered what he wanted to deliver absolutely within certain limitations um i mean you know they uh, people talk about how they hate the budweiser scenes where they shot engineering i'm one one of them (laughs) even though they they had a huge budget they had designed beautiful cool futuristic sets for engineering and uh the amount it would have cost to build them in the millions they said well why don't we just use a location instead so there were some limitations <laughs> yeah um but nothing nothing like you know nick meyer who had a third of the budget of robert wise for star trek the motion picture you know and, 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 and you can see it on the screen <laughs> i mean but but in a way I think sometimes they spend too much money on this new Star Trek movie and they, they agree. They have, have so much creativity. One of my pet peeves is if you look at Star Trek, the motion picture, they're constantly changing outfits, right? Kirk is in a different shirt, like at every scene, practically, you know, because when you have a lot of money, you make, you make, you do a lot of wardrobe and some interesting stuff. Right. And whereas in the other movies, they had like the one uniform and they were like always wearing it and wherever they went. And so in this one, if you notice, they're always changing clothes. So they're like they're meeting in yeah. April and they're in the gray outfit and then they go to the hangar bay and they're in this flight suit and yep. then they're on the ship and they're and so they actually create this notion and and you can see why they do it. They look at the scenes like, okay, here's a scene on a shuttle. Okay, we need wardrobe for that scene. Here's a scene on Earth. We need a wardrobe for that scene. Here's a scene on the ship. Okay, we need wardrobe for that scene. But they don't fit they but what that actually means is so in Starfleet you actually go from a meeting, you take off your uniform, you put on a flight suit, you, you go on a shuttle, and you get <laughs> on the ship, and you take off your flight all in like a 20-minute period. It's like, that just seems like a lot of you know, putting on and taking on a clothes. Yeah, it just seems very inefficient. Ridiculous. Yep, agreed. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things of, you know, maybe having money isn't great all the time. Maybe you could almost spend too much money. 
um, and on stuff that we really, you know, do we really need all these different costumes? I don't know. No, we don't. You know, <laughs> we were just fine with the TV I mean, what if, what if there was an away mission? I was starting to think, so let's say you're going on an away mission and you have to take the shuttle down, right? So you, you pull into orbit around a planet. Kirk's wearing his gold shirt and he's going to go down to the planet. And I assume there's some special away mission outfit with lots of pockets and all sorts well, of stuff, right? Yeah, I don't think I, when they go on away missions, they're usually not wearing the normal ship uniforms in, the, in, the, in JJ's movies. Right. Well, they haven't. They haven't. Well, they haven't really done away missions. We've never seen them do the traditional true, Star Trek true. away mission. So I assume there's a special outfit we'll see in the next movie where it's the away mission. And it's probably, if you think back to Enterprise, it's probably climate. Like if it's a desert planet, there's a desert outfit. If it's a cold yeah, planet, yeah. it'll be a cold weather outfit. So the question is: So you're on the ship. Let's say you're going down to a cold planet. You know, so you got kind of cold weather gear. So do they? Do they put the flight suit on, get in the shuttle, fly down to the planet, and as soon as they land, they all take their flight suits off? You know, it just seems stupid, you know. It so, does, it does. And that's why they had that scene with Alice Eve taking her clothes off, because they're always taking their clothes off in this new <laughs> That's right. So that explains the gratuitous uh, sexy scene. Right. Uh, that's yeah. right. And, and, you know, really, everything that was in the trailer was in the movie, and that was it. I mean, <laughs> it, it didn't really go anywhere. So, um, yeah. all right. So let's uh, – we've already called out that we're talking about spoilers, and we've got to talk about a big one here. Uh, John Harrison, he's actually Harry Mudd. No. <laughs> right. um, John Harrison is not – as we all knew, we just didn't know for sure who he was going to be. Some people, you know, have been certain for a while, and perhaps they were right. I mean, did were, were you surprised by the reveal of who – he was by the time you saw the film for the first time either of you guys i know honestly i wasn't no i i knew he was con in my heart well, i mean obviously i did not i i mean i reported a year ago that it was con and so you know i knew it was him and it was him so there you go so you've been pretty you've been certain for a while yeah okay and and i I actually I thought it was con for a while, but then the, the hints coming out of of the marketing materials were enough for me that I was like, JJ keeps secrets better than this. There's no way. And then as it turns out, no, it it is. It's con. And and it's interesting because why why did JJ telegraph it so much? It's almost like he knew that people like me maybe would say, no, he he keeps secrets better than that. But there was there was plenty of hints towards it. And, I think uh, that it's practically impossible to keep a lid on something with a budget of this size involving as many people as a film production of this nature does. Sure. Um, I mean, it's it, a lot more attention is going to be brought to a movie than a TV show. Um, it, you know, so it's easier to keep the lid on secrets of Lost until the you know series finale. So yeah. I, I mean, the, the question is. Were they and, – and we talked about this on the Google Hangout I was just on. Would the film have performed better purely from a marketing point of view if from the beginning they made it clear that they had recast Khan and that he's – you know, and that Khan is back? Because if you think about that, you know, the, the Dark Knight and you think about the uh, the upcoming Man of Steel, it's – you know, we always knew it was the Joker and it was Zod. Yeah. There's no, there's no question. And I always say a character isn't a plot just because the character is – we know Zod is in the movie. We knew that since the guy was cast, but we yeah. didn't know what the movie was about. And we knew that Heath Ledger was going to be the Joker, but we didn't know what the movie was about. Sure. And his, and his Joker was not 
it, it was totally different than any other Joker before. I assume they're going to do some interesting things with Zod as well. And uh, so, and they did that with Khan where the, you know, they did not remake the space seed. They no. did not remake the wrath of Khan, although they did copy one scene. Yes. <laughs> um, they, that's a different story. So, they weren't making a remake, but they still wanted to keep it a secret because they're obsessed with having they're obsessed with this moment. And it's the moment where they, they want to have this magical reveal. thing where yeah. reveal in the movie. And they, they don't think in terms of marketing. They think, especially JJ, you know, thinks in terms of what it was like for him as a kid to hear Luke, I'm your father or to have. The, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger turned out to be a good Terminator instead of a bad Terminator. They, they think of, of the good old days of the 70s and 80s movies and having these surprises, except yeah. that, you know, the Internet didn't exist back then. Right. And it's impossible to replicate their childhoods. But, you know, um, I can but, I can completely identify, though, as a, a creator of things. I'm a, I'm a film editor of, as one of the things that I do. And I identify, though, with the idea that, hey, let's preserve the the magic and the secret. So I understand where they're coming from. I do think it's a little misguided in our current day and age and i think you're absolutely right that 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 i i think perhaps they would have gotten a, a better response and we can talk about the 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 um the return they've gotten so far on opening weekend a little bit in a, here in a little bit but the response might have been better had people known they were going to see Khan. You know, this is Khan. Here he is. And and there was other stuff in the film that was surprising and that was a reveal that people weren't looking for and so weren't aware of it. And you know, I think they they could have easily said, "Yeah, this is Khan," and and maybe I've even seen a lot of angst in the fan base over, uh, you know, oh JJ lied to us, JJ did, that. you know, they, maybe that could have been avoided. I'm not I'm not judging and saying, well, he shouldn't have, because I was not unhappy. JJ never lied. He never said what he said was, Benicio del Toro was not signed to play Khan Noonien Singh. That is true because <laughs> Benicio del Toro was not in the movie. Now. Benedict Cumberbatch was signed to play Khan Noonie and Singh. Right. Now, but he never lied. Now, I, you can say this, which is, uh, what's his name? Um, Simon Pegg did overtly lie. As did Carl and, Urban. Um, I'm not sure. Carl Urban tried misdirection, which was different. He said it was Gary Mitchell, which I guess was a lie as well. Yeah, yeah. But bo- both of them believe in J.J. Abrams' mystery box and they don't like people putting out rumors and probably don't like me saying, well, yeah, it's true. Um, and so they were doing their best to keep the mystery alive. And and what Simon Pegg said in an interview, I think, was something like, you know, you do not have the right to know. It is not a, you know, th- th- that. <laughs> That's true. You, know, <laughs> you haven't paid for your ticket yet. Yeah. And. So to get upset over, you know, it's like, no, you know, we do not have to tell you these things. Now, if we don't want to, um, I would say you're not getting much benefit out of trying to hide a character. Um, no, I don't think that I don't think so either. You know, I just I think that, you know, the, the, the rush that they're going for is not possible anymore. But there are still surprises. Well, I, and, and- I, I will offer a counterpoint, though. When I went to see, I went to see the film on May the 15th, an IMAX 3D, the first showing that I personally could get. And so I was amongst, as you might imagine, a lot of people dressed in gold tunics and and some with next generation uniforms. And, and uh, there was, I, I think every person in that theater, in order to get that ticket, you had to be a Trekkie because they probably got their tickets like I did as soon as they became aware that they were available. 
So there was a huge whooping cheer when Benedict Cumberbatch reveals, my name is Khan. The, the, Which, by the way, was completely unnecessary that he speak his names in such a fashion, except to to beg for the applause of the old faithful Star Trek fans who would be like, yeah, but, just the way in which he said it to a younger audience that has no appreciation of who Khan is <laughs> would be like, why is the guy taking his name so seriously? <laughs> I will say, but, but to my point, though, is that um, there I could not detect any negative reaction in the audience, only cheers and 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 whooping for like joy, I guess you would say. <clears throat> so, the, 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 I mean, I'm not saying I disagree with you, Anthony, but I'm just saying that that may offer a counterpoint. No, okay. no, I mean, they, they well, there's three types of fan. There's three types of people who go to see the, the movie. One, people who don't know who Khan is at all. And so it doesn't matter Two, the hardcore fans who figured it out anyway. And three, the people in the middle. And for them, it was a surprise. Um, and, you know, and I guess that's good for them. You know, and I, I, I just think that they, the movie spends so much time, uh, you know, using his fake identity and all that stuff, which I just felt was fine, but not necessary. You know, I, I don't dislike it. I just think it wasn't necessary for them to go for the, that the, the thing that Christopher Nolan did where you didn't know, um, I forget the name of the character, but you know, the, the, the woman in, the Dark Knight Rises, right? The Catwoman, Selena Kyle. No, 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 no. no, no, no. no. Oh, you're no, no, you're no. right. The, the Ra's yeah. al Ghul's daughter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, another one. Yeah, Talia. I think it's Talia al Ghul. I'm sorry, Batman fans, if I got that wrong. Uh, Talia, yes. And um, that you know that that's what they're going for to say. Oh, now interestingly though, they did get there is an element to that which is you know the way I see the movie. Khan is not the villain of the movie. The villain of the movie is Admiral Marcus. Absolutely. And, I was about and, to get to that. So so they spent all this time going, oh, John Harrison. Who's John Harrison? Look, John Harrison. He's on the poster. He's crazy. He's a terrorist. And everyone's saying, oh, well, I think he's Khan or maybe he's Gary Mitchell. And no one's talking about uh, Peter Weller. They just assume Peter Weller is just some generic admiral who's in the movie and probably sends them off on their way. Right. And I think that they, you know, they – kept you know he was in very little of the promotions he barely showed up in the trailers yep. and he was a he was a well-kept secret you're right you know and if he didn't in fact in a if he didn't reveal in an interview with trekmovie.com uh well over a year before he was appeared in the movie he told um a stringer of mine you know i'm not an alien do i look like an alien and then he said something very telling he says i have my own ship you know, and at the time it didn't, that was a great impression. <laughs> it didn't mean anything. Um, but as soon as people started seeing this other ship in right. other versions, and people were like, ding, 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 that must be, um, his ship. Um, and then it was revealed he was an admiral, but still, I think most people walking into that movie, that was a surprise that like, Oh, this guy is a bad guy. He's Dick Cheney. He's <laughs> trying to start a war. And, um, so all the time that J.J. was saying, hey, look at John Harrison, the real villain was hiding in the shadows. And I think that was successful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, was, I was pretty surprised, although I started suspecting at some point that things were going weird when he gave him he, – when, he, when he's the one telling Kirk, you know, go fire these torpedoes on this guy, no questions asked. And you, you start going, what? Come on. This is not Starfleet. 
And uh, yeah, well, especially because everyone around him, like you know, like the, the janitor comes up to him and says, "Captain, come on, are you seriously going to do this?" I mean, there was like everyone in the ship is telling him this is totally <laughs> crazy, you know. Right. So yeah. and you know, it, they made the point even if you weren't like didn't know if you weren't a Star Trek fan to know that you know this version of our future, these you know, is more egalitarian. That Starfleet isn't really. Even though people are called captain and ensign, it isn't like the Navy. It isn't a purely military organization. Right. And, you know, it is an organization for for diplomacy and for exploration. And that Captain Kirk is supposed to be more Captain Cook, uh, you know. Um, and so they got that point across that Marcus was trying to turn Starfleet into something it wasn't. Yes, um, now speaking speaking of um, people telling Captain Kirk, you know, are you sure you really want to be doing this? If I remember right from reading your review, which I I saved it in Instapaper and waited to read it until after I'd seen the film, even though it's a spoiler free review, I, I wanted to wait. But if I remember right from reading that a couple of days ago, you you took a little bit of issue. You said Scotty still didn't feel like Scotty in this film. That that Simon Pegg still didn't quite hit the mark. Am I remembering that right? Yeah. Well, yes and no. Um, I love Simon Pegg, Scotty. He, he carries a lot of the comic relief load, which is good. I think he does that very well. Um, oh, he's one and, of my favorites. Absolutely. And he's, he's, he's very well acted. I just, it was really just one scene. What they wanted to do in this film, which I'm glad is that like, we're going to get Scotty out of engineering. We don't just, you know, Scotty running around yelling, you know, I'll give it all. She's got captain is cliche. <laughs> yes. And let's get Scotty something else to do. Yes. And let's get him off the ship. Okay. So fine. Great. And so he's going to go on his little side mission where he's going to discover the vengeance. And then in the end, he's going to save everyone. And that's going to be great. So they had to go, okay, well, how do we get him off the ship? And the way they got him off the ship was trying to make that point that he's going to resign in protest over these torpedoes and the kind of militarizing of the enterprise. Now I love that. That that I felt was, I, I could see the argument, but when I think of Scotty, I think he's loyal. He's too loyal to leave Kirk. He would never leave the ship. He but, would follow Kirk. He would follow orders. He's he's that kind of guy who would follow orders, even when he disagreed. He's one of those kinds of guys. But had his had his loyalty been established yet at that point? Though? I mean, they've only what has it been like a year in in the in the chronology of things. I could see that, but I just I felt it was out of character for him. I felt like they could have found a better way to get him off the ship. I, you know. It, yeah, you know, and and, and if, I suppose, if I were writing it, I would have I would have had I would have made it seem like Kirk s- s- basically told him to get off the ship. Said I, you know, I've got a mission for you, and they would have changed it up so that um, and maybe the whole thing of him leaving the ship in protest was a fake, and we find out later that it was all planned. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I, I can would, I can see your point. I, I can you know, see your point, but but it's not. It's it's first of all, I could point fifty two things wrong with this movie that I'd say that I would change that. I would change that. I would change that, <laughs> and I still love the movie. I would. Right. I could do. I could pick fifty two things that, that I would change about Wrath of Khan, Star Wars Episode Four, uh, Blade Runner. You know, I mean, all movies that I love. Uh, you know, it, so doing these kinds of like, I would I would have done this differently doesn't say, oh, and therefore the movie sucks, you know. Right. Um, 
Yeah, and I see I see your point too. Like this is the same uh, supposed to be the same Scotty who who said in one of the Star Trek episodes, the best diplomat is a fully activated phaser bank. <laughs> you know, right. so uh Yeah, I mean if anyone's going to leave and protest, it's not going to be him, you know. It would be more likely Spock. Um, you know, someone who could have, you know, stand on principle for some reason. But, but, but uh, you know, that, they, they just wanted him off the ship, you know, and I just found, I felt like they could have got a figure out a different way to get him off the ship. Maybe Marcus, you know, the other way is just have Marcus reassign him because of the transwarp beaming thing. Or, you know, there's a million ways yeah. where, where Scotty, they could have got Scotty off the ship that wasn't, but they were really trying to, you know, I do admire at least the fact that they were trying to make this point that Kirk for a little while seemed to be going off the rails and certainly Marcus was going off the rails yeah. with this whole obsession of firing torpedoes at the Klingon home world, which just doesn't seem very smart by no. anyone's, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, let's just start a war. I mean, sure. Yeah. Kirk is definitely blinded by his vengeance here for a while. And, and, and he really doesn't start to get on track until, you know, he finally acknowledges Spock has a point and things are looking mighty suspicious. And, and yeah, I mean, Frankly, though, I mean, I, I understand your point, and and I'll get uh, Joe. We've been talking all over you, so if you want to weigh in, please do. But uh, I, I no, really you're doing a good job. Okay, I really liked the Scotty scene. I I thought it was great change for Scotty in a great character moment for him. Um, and and, and speaking of character moments, I mean, I boy, this is what made this film feel so much more like a Trek film from the previous film is that the character relationships, even though we're seeing lots of growth and development, and that's really good, and I love it. Yet those character relationships are really much more in place. You've got the triangle in place. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are really doing their thing, and and you know I, I just I loved it. It was great. It, it's what it's what makes it when those when an original series film when those relationships are in place. That's what makes for great Star Trek. I think that's why the Wrath of Khan was so great is because. Uh, even a lot more so than this film, and, and that's just by nature of the fact that they'd been together for years and it was a film about aging, is those relationships are rock solid, and that's what makes the sacrifice at the end of The Wrath of Khan so moving. And and, and really, even though I liked the the sacrifice in this film that, that happens toward the end, it, it wasn't the same because these characters didn't know each other as much as well. Well, it's 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 bookends in a way. This yeah. The uh, one was kind of the culmination of a friendship, whereas this one is the foundation showy. for their lifelong friendship to come. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, I was fine with the Kirk sacrificing scene. Yeah. Uh, and in a way it's important in relation to the 2009 Star Trek film. If you look at the 2009 Star Trek film, everyone is paying a price in that film. Everyone is having something horrible happen to them. Um, and, but for a lot of the film, it's like Kirk kind of gets thing. Things are happening to him too easily. He's get, getting the captain's chair. Oh yeah, that's almost a like major all ac- It's all accidental, and I feel like you know Kirk needs to pay a price for that chair, and so um, he needs to prove that he he's it's it's more in that film. He's more proving a point about himself and not enough about how he deserves to be captain. And in this film. The sacrifice at the end is him proving that he's willing to sacrifice himself for his crew to save their lives, and he doesn't even think about it, you know. And that's the mark of a captain. And uh, you know, so I thought it was good. Yeah. Although, if he was, re- you know, another way to look at it, which is uh, 
you know, an even harder decision would have been for him to order Scotty into the chamber to order Scotty to die, which I thought would have been an interesting way to go. But it wouldn't, that would have worked better in a TV show. I'm not sure if that would have worked in the movie, but you know, because a real captain, you know, you hear about this in military situations all the time. You know, do you, does the captain go into the, you know, reactor chamber or does he order someone in? And it depends on the circumstances. But usually a real captain of a military vessel, for example, is going to be the guy ordering someone in, not the one doing it himself. Right. And Anthony, that's actually the, the one thing that really bothers me because now it kind of gums things up if they wanted to introduce the... A simulation that they had at the beginning of the Wrath of Khan with the Kobayashi Maru, or however it's pronounced, um, that yeah, they what is Kirk to do if he goes through a simulation like that for a future film? Well, well he, he already he did go Kill through it himself? in two thousand nine. You don't. Yeah, they already did that, so they don't need to do that again. Oh, did they? You don't remember? <laughs> Jeff, I guess, like, yeah, my, my memory's pod? failing me. <laughs> look, uh, can we stop this? Let him watch the other movie, and then we'll get yeah, back. Yeah, we'll, yeah we'll, okay. we'll just we'll pause. I'm, Hang on, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna go home. Yeah, but yeah, no. What, what you're saying, Anthony? Uh, really, uh, that was like I think one of my most major complaints of the 2009 film is Kirk is is promoted from three year cadet to captain just like that. I don't care what Captain Kirk did to save the planet, to save the galaxy, to save the ship, to save his crew. I don't care. He wasn't ready for that chair. He was three years out of the, or he was only spent three years in the Academy, still in the Academy, snuck on the Enterprise, did all kinds of stupid stuff, and he gets promoted to captain. No, that, that, this is just crazy. That In the real world, in our world, in, in any sort of organization, that would not have happened. And so well, here, here you are in Star Trek's world, and... That happens. That's so. So it needed to be dealt with. And and I will say, as much as I hate that it happened in the 2009 film, I am glad for the payoff here because this is the way you would expect it to go. He wasn't ready for that chair, and he needed to earn it. Although, well, the two things on that. One is they they heard those complaints, and Orsi and Kurtzman. I did a little interview with them in London, and they they said, yeah, you know, we saw people talking about that on your site, and that's one of the things we decided to add into this movie, the the kind of arc that Kirk wasn't ready. Because they could have just forgotten about it, and they could have set this movie, and Kirk was, you know, basically captain, and everyone was fine with that. But they, they wanted to kind of address the issue of the last movie, which is interesting because they need this movie to work for people who didn't see the last movie. And yet they wanted to bring this issue back. And I think they did it well with the, with the scene with Pike where he basically made it clear that Kirk Kirk wasn't ready and he's still a kid and he's an arrogant and, you know, and then he, and then, then he was, although we keep on talking about Kirk being ready for the chair and all that. And one of my complaints about this movie, of my 52 complaints, is that Kirk really doesn't – I know this sounds silly, but he rarely actually sits in the chair. Spock oh, spends, yeah. Spock spends more time in the chair than Kirk. I think that was very intentional. I, I think that J.J. did that quite on purpose. No, what- it, it, he does, but I always feel that Kirk is – Kirk, certainly he's a ladies' man. Certainly he's a man of action. He's, he's, he's always ready to throw a punch or kiss a girl, but his ultimate destiny is that chair. He is at his greatest when he is sitting in that chair and he's, you know, and he's facing off against an enemy and he, he figures out the bluff, the trick, the, you know, he was called a wizard by the Romulan in, 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 in Balance of Terror. Yep. And 
you know, in, in, in both of these movies, we have kind of the, the ultimate moments where there's a, you know, Kirk is facing off against an enemy in an over powerful ship. And Kirk's solution in both of these is I'm going to beam over to that ship and start punching people. And I just think that it'd be nice to see Kirk actually sit in the chair and, you know, have a real space battle. You know, they didn't fire the phasers. The Enterprise in this movie doesn't fire a single phaser or photon torpedo in the entire movie. Yeah, would it have been considered, um, well, well, I guess mutiny is not the right word, but but uh, wrong for them to fire on another Starfleet ship, I guess is the question. Oh, well, well the, the, no, because the other ship was shooting at them. That's true, yeah. Uh, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, And they know, did, and, and as I think through that, that's not, I mean, because they sent, you know, Spock beamed over torpedos and blew the thing up, and no, no, of course it, that it, was under... They, did is they set up the notion that the weapons were completely they, – they didn't give Kirk the, the, that option. What the writers did is they, they basically gave him no option. Remember the scene where Spock says, we can't run, we can't fight. And Kirk says, well, there is something we can do. Right. I'm going to beam over. You know? And yeah. so they, they painted themselves into the corner where Kirk has to beam himself over to the ship. Yeah. And they could have – they didn't have to do that. They decided that the way this Kirk is going to solve the problem is – and I, I just get the sense that J.J. prefers doing fight scenes. He'd rather see Kirk punch a guy in the face than Kirk order Sulu to fire the phasers that blow up the other ship. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just maybe a preference of theirs, but for once I would like to see a good old-fashioned Starfleet fire, you know, ship-on-ship, you know, uh, battle. That's you know is it is it too much to ask to just see a good a good old fashioned starship fight battle you know well, so what what do you think Joe you you've been kind of quiet I agree it, it, that is something I missed even from the con film and in the con film wait, 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 wait. when I watched it the other day Wrath of Khan has fantastic ship on ship yeah action. that that's what Wrath of Khan is known for yeah I, no I, that's what I'm saying. I missed it from the conference. Oh, 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 oh. gotcha. Tracking yeah. with you now. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. It's like if you are going to, because this film was kind of homaging bits of Wrath of Khan, the ultimate moments of Wrath of Khan are those great starship battle scenes. And maybe they just said, well, we can't do better than that, so we're going to do something totally different. And I can appreciate that. But um, I just want to see, you know, in the next one, Kirk, you know, really truly be captain and where you know the great things that happen are him in the chair issuing orders on the bridge and you know outsmarting a an enemy or whoever you know yeah that was one one, after i saw the film the first time that was one of my complaints too it's like you know one of my some of my favorite episodes are kirk basically playing poker with with his enemy or whatever on you know trying to out outsmart him and and you know it's not just kirk kirk picard all the captains you know yeah it's it's quintessential Star Trek that you know the Cisco, all of them, you know that they're that they they do these great moments from the chair. And it, the weird thing in this movie is they kept on talking about you don't deserve the chair, you shouldn't, you know, you don't respect the chair, you don't like the chair, it's the wrong color chair. You know, they're always <laughs> talking about the chair, and yet Kirk never really sits in the chair, you yeah. know. And, uh, well, and I mean, like he I does said. It a couple times, and then he gets out of it as soon as he can. Spock spends more time in the chair. Than Kirk and the, the ultimate chair moment is was given to Sulu when he, you know, talks uh, plays poker with Khan. Um, right. Yeah. 
bluffs Khan. So uh, anyway, it's again, this is a uh, it's a pet peeve. You know, it's like a little I don't know if, if I'm the only one I could be the only one, you know, but it's something that bugs me about it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I that was my first impression too. Like, okay, Kirk should have had, but but upon further reflection, upon seeing the film the second time, I thought, no, actually, this is really great because Spock and Kirk are kind of reversed and and feeling each other's roles out. I, I don't know, I, I really enjoyed it more the second time around, and and seeing Spock actually do be the one playing poker because you knew he was up to something after he after he hung up the phone with old Spock, you knew he was up to something, and and. He he played that game pretty well and got the the torpedoes over there and blew up the ship and then the roles are you know the the whole the whole scene from that point on is about the role reversal of, of right, what's but, going but, on here. But if, if if you watched that movie in the end, you might think you know what Spock should be captain and Kirk should be head <laughs> of security because you know what he's really good at is beaming over to you know ships and planets and punching people and uh, you know. But other, but Spock is the guy, and in fact, Kirk says it. He says it should be you, Spock. And and at points uh, when you're watching the film, you're like, you know, maybe it should be Spock. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I I can certainly see that point of view. There, there was one other thing I wanted to get to um, before before we run out of time, and and that is um, uh, the whole transition between uh, the enemy being Peter Weller, Admiral Marcus, and then all of a sudden it's Khan. It, it, it's kind of interesting to me, like, what would have happened? So he teams up with Khan, and if – if because Kirk was the one that actually did, that betrayed Khan first, not the other way around. Because Khan – you know, Kirk tells Scotty, drop him as soon as you get to the bridge, and then he drops him. I, I'm just asking the question, and we all know Khan's a bad guy, but if he had made that – he made a, a promise, and if Kirk had kept his end of the deal, would things have gone down the way they did? Would Khan have been the enemy? And I know this is a fictional universe, and it was written the way it was written, and that's the way it is. Well, Kirk made it clear to Khan that you're going to help me, and then you're going back to Earth, and you're going to pay for your crime. But with you know, the you, promise that we'll save your people, which is what Khan really only cared about. Right, but and Kirk was not going to break that promise. Kirk's idea was – is. Kirk's plan was, I'm going to get to that ship, I'm going to take Marcus into custody, then Khan and I are going to go back to the Enterprise, and if I have to take him back unconscious, that's fine, and we're going to put him on trial, and we're not going to kill his crew. Right. And uh, and that would be, and that was Kirk's plan. Now, Kirk, while he was on the other ship, realized, like, you know, this Khan guy may not go along with that plan, so I might have to knock him out. Um, but Kirk was not trying to kill him. He was trying to capture him, and that was the whole point of him flying to the Klingon homeworld instead of firing right, the torpedoes. He had, he had gone to great lengths to try and not kill Khan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the modern-day allegory is he's basically saying, you know what, we don't kill people without a trial. You know, we, right. we, yep. we, we, you know, no matter how horrible someone is, we, you know, we uh, put them on, we have justice for them. Yeah. And, so what happened uh, to that trial anyway? <laughs> After all that struggle to try and well, that, get that, to a that's trial. a good question. Is <laughs> they showed them in the kind of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark scene at the end where they right? right yes, you know, <laughs> that's great. I love that analogy. File them all away, but one could assume maybe that in that year they put him on trial and then they sentenced him to indefinite frozenhood. Um, Which, by the way, means I, my first thought as soon as we saw that scene is we will have the possibility of seeing Khan again. Well, I, the way I look at it is is these guys knew that 
in a way. They did not have the right to kill Khan. So they couldn't they they couldn't kill him as much as Kirk couldn't kill him because A, it it wouldn't let them use him again. And B, if someone takes over the franchise and stays in this universe, they don't want to cut off that guy's possibility of using him again. So they put Khan in the, the frozen uh, tube and stored him away for themselves or although I very much doubt they will bring him back for the third movie. Oh, not for the uh, third, for sure. Not for but the third. for a fourth, fifth or sixth movie. Or yeah, that's a, a very TV show or for the comic books or for the novels. They basically filed Khan away for future use. And yep. I think that's the right thing to do um, as opposed to bring him in and kill him. Absolutely. Hmm. So, uh, Joe, you you liked this film. Was there anything you didn't like about the film? Oh uh, well, thank you for asking. It's a it, it's a hard it's a hard choice. I feel like I am splitting hairs here because on the one hand, I have a very high star rating in store for this film, and and the reason for it is because from beginning to beginning to end, it was all entertaining. It was from the very beginning, yes, entertaining. It didn't take me any time to get in, absorbed into the the film, and. I kind of anticipated that they would like to pull on the heartstrings about when they did during the film, about two thirds of the way in. And I was thinking, ah, this movie is so action full that surely the, the heartstrings aren't really going to affect me because I'm just bombarded with all my, the senses by this outlandish amount of action in this film. I mean, think about it. The other Star Trek films were basically sci-fis that had some action. And this is an action film that has some sci-fi. Yeah. So when they finally did tug on the heartstrings, I was surprised it actually moved me. Um, and then come to the end, I feel like there was two, two noticeable disappointments. One, there was just too much action and they crammed in too many events. Agreed. And the whole thing felt rushed. It was just stifling the believability of it all because I didn't have any time to absorb one thing from the next. Yeah. It was like watching a cartoon unfold with outlandish amounts of action, just never ending. It was like um, Chris Pine described it in an interview. He said something like, this film is just relentless. And I don't think he meant relentless. He meant unrelentless. <laughs> but yeah, um, they actually put that up on IMDb and I'm kind of surprised they put that into a marketing piece. But uh, yeah, so that's the one thing. And the other thing that bothers me, uh, I actually have two uh, two items, uh, TJ. I hope you can uh, live with that. Yep. Uh, the, the one is that the ending cleverly finds a way I know. Spoiler alert here, people. Please. Huge spoiler coming. I know this. It is. This is a huge spoiler alert. Yes. The manner in which they bring uh, about saving Kirk's life is it doesn't live up to the rest of the film. It's not a bad way to save his life. It's just that it doesn't live up to the, the fun and the the jazziness, the the cleverness of the rest of the film. Uh, they, they did a couple of foreshadowings alluding to the things that Bones was doing with a, what was it, a Tribble? It was a Tribble, yes. Which, why yeah. in the world was the Enterprise not full of Tribbles by the time they got Captain Kirk back to the ship? And <laughs> Well, because anyway. it was a, a sick Tribble, That's just right? a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, wow, why, they hadn't even started their five-year journey, so where did the Tribble come from? Yeah, um, those are minor. Actually, actually the Tribble... They explain the triple in the comic book. So if you really want to get it anal oh. intensive, 
Oh, please. So, so in order to validate the film, we need to read a comic book. Even if you didn't know that, you saw the last movie. Scotty had a triple in the last movie. Did he? I don't remember that. Yeah, it's it's a panning shot. So when you first meet Scotty on that ice planet, the camera sweeps quickly past a little cage, and he's got a little triple sitting in it. Oh, interesting. So So does does the comic also explain um, how – oh, shoot. What was it? There was another uh, – oh, the mud incident. Does the comic also explain the mud incident? Because they didn't meet Harry Mudd until the five-year mission either. Uh, the comic – the prequel comics do refer to Harry Mudd – or actually Mudd's daughter plays a prominent role. But they haven't completely explained what the mud incident was Okay, when they confiscated the ship. But you know what? I mean I, I for one, am one – you know – uh, you don't need to explain everything. Yeah, no, th- those little things are just, it, it's just fun to know. I, I really don't care about those. Although I do, Joe, in, in agreement with your opinion there, uh, I, I felt like things were rushed and a little bit too action heavy. Like, why does it only take 20 minutes to get to Klingon space when it used to take four days at warp five? Uh, what, what's up yeah, with that? Yeah, that, that, that is, well, you know, with the, the way they deal with that, I mean, they, J.J. obviously doesn't want to set all these scenes when they're, quote, at war, quote. So they make it seem like it doesn't take any time, you know, although what they try to do is imply there's some time through costume changes. So in this one, if you look on the way to on the way to Klingon space, uh, McCoy's wearing one outfit and then he's wearing a different outfit. I, I agree that, with you on the tr- trip there that that's you know, true. On the, although- no, on the trip back, on the trip back, they completely forgot to do that. And so basically it looks like it takes like a minute and it's ridiculous. Yeah. It it was ridiculous uh, the first time because they didn't do it well. Uh, JJ failed to imply well enough that there was time passing so that I was a little confused on my first viewing. Second time I did note it's like, Oh, of course we'll check off in his red uniform, et cetera. (laughs) But yeah, on the return trip, like, and, and, and just how convenient is it that the, the vengeance catches up with them and starts firing on them 200,000 kilometers from earth. I mean, for the plot, that's just a little too convenient. That was an annoyance of mine. Like, and where are all the other ships? Oh, yeah, the tr- exactly. The, the, that's that's yeah. the sort of thing, like, Joe, you were picking on me a little bit earlier, like, oh, you're being a little too nitpicky. But, but you know, these are serious, like, these are, this is writing laziness. I'm sorry. I, I love the film, and I love uh, I love the work that Orsi and uh, Kurtzman and Lindelof did, but I feel like that was a little bit lazy writing. It's just like. Well, well what this comes down to, I mean, often they, you know, a lot of nitpicks people have for these movies um, often get written into the script with explanations, and then and then in the end, it gets uh, cut out of the in get the removed bay. because of editing. So, like in the last yep. movie, it's like that's totally ridiculous that uh, Spock and Kirk meet in this cave on a nice planet. Come on, seriously. And then, but then there was a, a, a thing written where Spock talks about how time is trying to knit itself back together again. Yes, and then you go, oh, well, that makes sense. Um, you know, and there's a scene in this one where Carol Marcus explains why she's got a British accent because she lived with her mom. And right. Yeah. I knew about that. One. And, and that was, and there's other examples of that. I'm, you know, I, 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 and, and the same thing with the, the, uh, trip back from Klingon, I think is just, it was just, they kept on editing this thing, getting back to, to make the, to the, the action faster and faster and faster paced until, right. There just seems to be no time. Time doesn't, yep. you know, everything happens in an afternoon, you know, and yeah. uh, when clearly that's not the case. And my issue with, well, you know, should warp travel be that fast? And is that, isn't that just being nitpicky? The reason why it's, I, I think it's beyond nitpicky is, is that the whole notion of Star Trek is that you have 
a story about a crew having adventures off in far, you know, strange new worlds and they're on the final frontier. And if everything is within minutes of everything else in the galaxy, then there is no final frontier. There is no quote deep space. They kept on talking about deep space in the movie. We're going to go on this deep space mission, but if it takes you one minute to get to Kronos, right, then it, right. Exactly. And it would take you 15 minutes to get from one side of the galaxy and, to the other. And when you it have would, a transwarp beaming device, what do you need the enterprise for? That, that, that right. really doesn't that would, that would negate. Well, the funny thing is they actually dealt with that. Well, although maybe some people didn't notice in the last movie, which is, the transwarp beaming didn't work very well. If you think about it, Kirk was fine, but Scotty almost died. You know? Yeah, that's so true. You, you wouldn't actually, you know, if you had a 50-50 chance of survival, you wouldn't use transwarp beaming. And so, you know, you could say in this one, you know, sure, Khan beamed himself to Kronos, but maybe because he's Khan and he can regenerate that he's able to easily survive. But, you know, your average human, if he tried to pull that off, would have been vaporized. Yeah, um, it could be something yeah, like that. You're and, right. And, and, and so clearly, well, clearly the fact that they aren't using transwarp beaming shows that there must be limitations, that it only gets used every once in a while. And they could have explained that. They could have said something. They could have thrown in a line of dialogue. Or they could leave it to you to decide a line of dialogue yeah. and, on your and- own. You know, you do have to do this delicate balancing act of appeasing people who know more about this, like you and me, Anthony, or or appealing more to the crowd who just don't care about those little details. So like I, I understand. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't going to say it, but if you want to, sure. But um, but but science fiction. The, the important thing about I think a story set in science fiction, or even today when you watch CSI or whatever, is if you have your characters using technology and tools. If those technology and tools seem magical and infinite in possibility, then you put your you write yourself into a corner because they could essentially magic themselves out of any anything, you know. And yep. so you have to and and so when a technology suddenly has this these kind of obscenely powerful properties, and then the next scene, you know, so has very limited properties, it does seem can seem arbitrary, you know, like, so one minute the transporters can't beam someone out of a volcano. The next minute they could do these kind of incredible things. And so it, 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 at least they have to be cognizant of that and explain to the audience, you know, why their magical technology works in this case and doesn't work in this case. Um, you know, probably the one that I feel like they missed the boat on the most is the sacrifice scene at the end. So Kirk is about to sacrifice himself, right? Yep. Now in Wrath of Khan, um, there's a very simple scene where Kirk calls down to Scotty and he, you know, the, 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 the Genesis device has exploded. There's a, or, or is counting down and, and, and they know that once the thing goes off, it's going to be bad news. Right. Yep. And so Kirk calls Scotty and says something like, you know, we need warp speed in five minutes or we're all dead. It's very simple. The whole audience, they don't need to understand anything. They just need to know, you know, they're going to, everyone's going to die unless the ship gets warp power. Then Spock goes down there and, and realizes they're, they're not going to get warp power unless he sacrifices himself and he sacrifices himself. That was the only way out of it. And you believed it in this movie. They kind of have the same thing. They're falling towards earth, right? And they set up the notion that if they don't get restore power to the ship, then everyone's going to die. And I don't know if you guys felt the same, but I thought there must be like 
50 ways to get off that ship that don't require power. I did feel that, and I chose to ignore it as much as I could because I figured, you know, the ship is tilting and turning and tumbling, and there's the gravity's offline, and so they're in Earth's gravity, and they can't get to the sh- – you know, people are going to die, and so Kirk opts to save them is how I explained it to myself, but I do agree. It was poorly conveyed. Right. Well, there's also there's a, the assumption that Kirk would not want his ship to actually crash and be a complete wasted loss. Yeah, there, there's no, that. But nothing is, you know, but nothing is, not is worth dying worth, over at the end of the not, day. Yeah, the hardware <laughs> is not worth dying. The crew exactly. is worth dying for, and you know, and so I thought, well, you know, ground stations could beam them off. Other ships could beam them off. Other ships can can. Well, we've already established that apparently there are ships. no other ships in this timeline. Right. What about? <laughs> yeah, there are no other ships. What about like the moon and? The uh, Earth Starfleet headquarters don't they have transporters at Starfleet exactly, headquarters? Yeah, yeah. Um, couldn't they? Uh, couldn't they get to escape pods? Every movie you see escape pods. You've yeah. seen the Alien. You've seen them in Star Wars. Um, and escape pods are always self-powered. Um, it's not yep. a Star Trek thing. That's just kind of the way they are. In fact, we saw one in the last Star Trek movie because because Kirk Spock, was put in one. Yeah, Kirk was put in one. So you're like, well, why does why doesn't everyone get in escape pods? Um, and yep. if Kirk could run from one side of the ship to the other, then your average Starfleet person could get to an escape pod. And so I'm okay. I, it's not that I wanted to see everyone go into the escape pods. I just wanted them. <laughs> if you are going to have Kirk sacrifice himself, then you need us to believe that he has to sacrifice himself. And, um, uh, it just wasn't as clear as it was in Rat the Con, where the you know we need war power five minutes and we're all dead, and it was pretty clear that's the only way. You yeah. know, if they didn't, you know, in this one there seemed to be fifty solutions, and Kirk jumped to <laughs> sacrifice myself in the warp core. And, well, we uh, we could just assume that because Kirk had not gotten any sleep since they had left Earth, uh, going on the hunt for Khan, that he was just <laughs> not thinking clearly, and he did the dumbest thing imaginable. He was he was already growing accustomed to picking the best of the the bad options along the way. So, but these are these are nitpicks, and these are always yeah. uh, what I would say with the. The, both of the JJ movies and a lot of movies have this is these are on your way home in the car issues. Yeah, exactly. And kind of in the middle of the movie, you're not, things are going so fast because we're getting bad at the fast pace. You kind of do. And then on the way, I'm like, Oh, but what if, why, why did they do this? Or why did they? And yeah, you know, I, I didn't get any of that at all during the film. I, I, I these questions, you're right. They, they definitely cropped up for me after afterward. Right. Hey, we well, need to, we need to go ahead and bring this thing in for a landing. Joe, what, what have you got to say? Well, this this raises one other thing, though, uh, Anthony. I was wondering. You know, we already alluded to it, but did it did this bother you the way that they threw that in there with Carol Marcus changing her clothes? Because well, yeah, this yeah. Was, yeah, no, no abs- This was a big subject uh, with Bonnie Burton on my the Hangout, and I I absolutely agree. And we're, we're doing an article on it on our site, written by Kayla Yakovina, who's our one of our writers, because I felt like I shouldn't write about this because I don't have the right equipment, but I think it's, it is, it was a mistake. And, you know, in a way uh, it's, it was not necessary. And, um, well, and it it even seems that it bothered, well, it even bothered Chris Pine. Like, I I don't know, but usually I was convinced by his behavior, his acting capability throughout the film. And then in that one moment, it just seemed like he didn't know how to behave. Yeah. Uh, this. Yeah. It. It felt forced. Well, and, and then m- I was confused because didn't. in that scene, you know, it's like okay, Kirk and her are going out in the shuttle, and she's changing her clothes for the shuttle mission, and then all of a sudden you cut, and Kirk's on the bridge, and Bones is with her. What? What was the point? That 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 was. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was a completely stupid and pointless scene. I I completely agree. 
Um, yeah, it would have made more sense if Kirk and her were going on the mission together. They both had to get in these outfits, which, again, I find the whole notion of them having to constantly get into these outfits stupid. <laughs> right. Um, it wasn't necessary. And yeah. yeah. So, no, it was gratuitous. It wasn't necessary. And I think it diminished her character. Um, and uh, do, you, know, do, do you get the feeling that they did that scene solely for the sake of the trailer? Yes. One wonders, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's let's head into. But the I, I can't say I can't say I know that, you know. But it feels like that. Th- that's exactly what it feels like to me. Yeah, it kind of like uh, going back to Lost again. Episode one, Evangeline Lily on the beach. It was also like just used. Um. Anyway, another nod to one of Abrams' other works. You know what? Though I mean, on the other hand, if you look at the the way the film is performing, you know, the thing that they need more of is you know more teenagers you know and teen boys and teen girls and you know so whatever will get those teenagers the problem is is that today's teenagers have seen it all and they've seen it worse you know and you know and it it really is bad enough yeah you know it's kind of flashing someone in their underwear just doesn't have the same impact is it not after twilight no and it just it just makes it feel a little crass so yeah it's, it just doesn't work in 2013 the way it worked, you know. Classless. That was the word. 1983. Yeah. It, it makes it feel more classless. So, yeah. Um, so heading in for the landing here, uh, the, the, there was just two two quick things I wanted to mention. Um, and one of those things is, man, I didn't I didn't like the music too much on this 2009 Star Trek. I felt like it was a disservice to Star Trek not to include the theme a little bit. And I understood Giacchino's reasoning for going, well, they needed to earn the theme or whatever. That's not really remedied with his music here, but I loved his theme for Khan so much. It, it was great, and he hit. He, he, I just felt like he captured this film's essence a lot better with the music. And maybe it's because I like the film more. I don't know. I, th- I think the film was great. I, I, I mean, I think. Well, I think the film was great. I mean, th- this has been a nitpick fest. I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, God, he hates the movie. I love the movie, <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's just that I, I, you know, it's fun to nitpick because I mean, this whole books of track nitpicking i thought the music was great i thought it was better than the last one you know but pretty close you know i would say it's profoundly better but um very solid i just got the soundtrack yesterday and i listened to it a bit and and i enjoyed it very much and chiquino's he's not here to tickle our trek bone as it were you know he's here to make his own music he's a oscar-winning you know, composer and he makes start, you know, he makes music on his own. And I, I am, do not want to ask him to be a cover band and just, you know, do riffs on old Star Trek no, no. music. And I don't want, I want that to either. hear his, I want to hear his music for his movie. Uh, I, don't, so, I don't want that either. I just wish, you know, while I enjoyed this music and I, and again, I can't say enough how much I loved his theme for Khan. Uh, but at the same time, I wish he'd have thrown just a little bit more homage in there. That, that's all. That's all I wanted to say. But but my real, my, really, my only point in bringing it up was it. I, I loved the score for this film. I've already bought it. Got it in my iTunes. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, so that's. Uh, I don't remember what the other thing I had was. So uh, let's let's move in real quickly and talk about since since we have nitpicked the film to death. Let's talk about our star ratings for this film. I'll go ahead and start. Uh, we do uh, uh, Anthony a five scale rating on Movie Bite. And The Wrath of Khan is my top Star Trek film, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, five of five is what I get the Wrath, give The Wrath of Khan because it's a great film. The other two films that are competing with this film for me are Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which I give four of five, and Star Trek First Contact, which I also give four of five. And this film, Star Trek Into Darkness, I give a four of five stars. Well, I mean, if we are 
certainly if we're not going to get into fractions, if we're going to get into solids, then I would agree. You know, I wrote in my review, it's, it's, I still consider Wrath of Khan the best of the franchise. So if that's the five, then this is a four along with Star Trek six, Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek first contact. I put it in that group of what I call really good, solid Star Trek movies. Maybe not the best, but certainly better than generations Star Trek four, <sighs> which um, I like, but don't love exactly. You know, Same and, here. And, and, uh, you know, all the rest of them. But, you know, if we got into fractions, I could say, well, maybe I'll give this one 4.73 and this one 4.72. But, you know, yeah. So four and something, some X amount of stars. So Uh, we do we do half we do half stars on Movie Bite. So you do four and a half, maybe. Yeah, I would do this and 2009 and Star Trek six as four and a half. I would put it in with those and first contact. I'd, I'd give them all four and a half. Okay, you know. They're all tied for second. That's um, right. That, the, the two the two that are competing for the second place are the Undiscovered Country and First Contact, along with this film. Those are what's competing for my second place. So, Joe, how do you feel? I just feel like it was a superly entertaining sci-fi, which is, I mean, proven by Oblivion, which came out not too long ago. It's pretty hard to do these days uh, to to keep it to keep it lively, entertaining and energetic and going someplace to be very creative. And obviously it doesn't hurt that they had a lot of money to, to, to spend on this film to make it as creative as it was. So I, I know just enough of the homages to appreciate them <laughs> just enough, barely enough. And yet appreciate that they took the time to develop things in a new way so that I could experience them in the film. And uh, that's something that's difficult to find in the older films if I'm a little rusty on my start, my Trek knees or whatever you call it. Uh, so yeah, I, I want to say since it was such an entertaining film from beginning to end and like you, Anthony, I didn't really spot those inconsistencies until the ride home. Uh, I, I give it four and a half out of five. Wow. So you're even higher than I am. And you, this is a Star Trek film, Joe. You don't like Star Trek that much. I know <laughs> it's uh, on a film on a film's own terms. It was, uh, it was an exceptional action flick. So where did uh, I'm uh, sorry for not knowing this, but where did you put Iron Man and the Avengers? The last kind of you know, thinking in the Ooh, last I'm, year of kind of the big movies. Give me a second to look up my rating for the Avengers. Iron Man, I gave four. I meant Iron Man three. Oh, Iron Man three. I gave four of five stars, I believe, Joe. I gave Iron Man three, three and a half out of five stars. And mainly just because uh, what I what really bothered me about that film was just the 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 silliness, the outlandishness of the villains and their superpowers, and the way in which they were thrown around, you know, like a kid's story. While that we expect they were expecting so much believability in Tony and his gadgetry, and he had to re- work really hard at what he had to do. And yet the villains, for everything that came to the villains, it seemed easy and natural and convenient and just uh, just a, ridiculously so. Um, and I noticed that from the beginning to end that anything pertaining to the villains was just difficult to swallow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Anthony, you may I, not. I liked, I liked Iron Man 3. Oh, I'd I, give it a I did four too. out of five. Yeah, know, that's so same same here. Four out of five. Solid. Solid movie. Solid movie. Yep. Now, you may not like this, Anthony. I rated the Avengers just a half star higher than I rated Star Trek Into Darkness. I gave the Avengers four and a half out of five stars. Yeah, I mean, I would say that that's this, forgivable. I, yeah, I think Avengers. I loved the Avengers. I'd give it. I thought it was better than Iron Man three. Yep. I think it's. I think it's the best of all of. If you kind of look at all the Marvel movies, 
I think is certainly the best yeah, of all of them. as well. And they've all been pretty good. I've enjoyed all of them, including the second Hulk movie. You know, so I oh, think I love they... the second Hulk movie. I'm I'm not like most people apparently, but I, I did not like the first one. But you know, the 2003. Yeah, there's nothing about the Hulk films to like, in my opinion. Okay. Anyway, well, um, given that we've taken up all of our time uh, that we would normally take on uh, items of interest and on the review, I think we're going to skip our nor- which normal. is all very fantastic, TJ. Oh way. no, I, yeah, I think it was great. I'm not not complaining. Don't <laughs> don't misunderstand me. Uh, but I, I will just mention we were going to talk about the Lone Ranger trailer number four, Man of Steel trailer number four. Did did uh, Jeremy Renner lose his Hawkeye gig? Uh, I'll go ahead and put those in the show notes in case anybody wants to catch up with those. Uh, but we're we're going to forego that and we're just going to wrap the show up. So, Anthony, thank you so much for being on the show with us. I enjoyed it immensely, nerding out with you about Star Trek. Uh, I hope that our audience. We've talked so much about Star Trek lately, and I've written so much about it. I hope they're not getting tired of it. It's almost over, guys. Trust me, we're going to move on to other movies. This is Movie Bite. We talk about other movies. But, Anthony, thank you so much for being here uh, and talking about it with us. Where can people keep up with your work and the, and the great stuff that you do? Uh, TrekMovie.com and is probably your best bet for now. All right. And you're, you're also on Twitter, too. I, I follow you and keep up with your stream there. Oh, what? yeah, yeah. At, I mean, I, I'm on Facebook, but I don't, I'm not a huge Facebooker. Right. But if you go to at, at TrekMovie, um, I try to add things that kind of don't go on the website, but, you know, are kind of little bits of things that, uh, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a lot of fun following you on, on uh, Twitter as well. And, and it, I can vouch for that, that there are certainly things that aren't on the site that get posted there, whether you're linking other stuff or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. And I get more opinionated. I think I get more opinionated on Twitter and I, I may, I may engage more with people you know, who yep. have things to say. So, uh, you know, if you want to call me a jerk or whatever, just get on Twitter and, you know, I, I'll... I have not seen you be a jerk on Twitter. So I will do that. Anthony, I'll take you up. Please. On offer. Thank yeah, you. exactly. I'm suddenly going to get all these people calling me a jerk on Twitter. <laughs> just so yeah. So, so trekmovie.com and at Trek movie on Twitter, Joe, where can people find you and keep up with you? I am Joseph Darnell on all the social networks and I have a personal site. I try to write about culture, tech news and movie stuff in the arts and that's jivingjackalope.net and uh, I occasionally pop up elsewhere. Right. And you can follow me on Twitter. I am TJ Draper Pro. Uh, You can keep up with all the work that I do. All the writing I do these days is on moviebyte.com, M-O-V-I-E-B-Y-T-E.com. I write about all kinds of movies and writing a lot about Trek lately. So keep up with us there. I post every weekday. Uh, you can find the show notes for this episode at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 45. That's where this show will be posted tomorrow, and you'll be able to find the show notes, the links for all the stuff that we talked about there. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast uh, in iTunes or directly on the site, and we'd love it if you'd go to iTunes and give us a rating. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, we really uh, would love for you to rate it so that we, people, more people can find us because that's it's a labor of love. Yeah, so it's a labor of love, love, and we, want the, we do want the podcast to grow, though. Eventually, we want to get sponsors and all that sort of stuff. So... Make sure you rate us on iTunes, and that would be great. And, guys, thank you so much for being here. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking about Epic because it looks like that's the only decent thing that's coming out in the theaters. So look forward to that. Uh, Same same time, Wednesday at 630. Same time, same channel. That's it. Thanks. Thanks.